0: Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Ecclesiastes Life Under the Sun. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton.
1: Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner Destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, Do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt, and the one who does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what it is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him. For he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him dependently in prayer. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, and that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so now, as you have seen, the, the, the bulk of the 10th chapter of Ecclesiastes consists of individual proverbs, poetically structured truisms, varying, as you've seen, by subject, interconnected by a theme. Now, what can seem repetitive to modern ears is intentionally reinforcing themes, What we see here is Solomon is repetitively engaging our imagination. Did you catch that? So many of these proverbs make us think of of animals or situations, and, and our imagination is engaged. Well, that's intentional. But all of these varying proverbs flow from one, or rather flow into one general theme. Did you catch the theme? Wisdom. Is better than folly. That's the general theme, if I might summarize the entire chapter, including verse 18 of the previous chapter. Wisdom is better than folly. And all of us would say, well, who would disagree with that? Of course, wisdom is better than folly. And yet, and yet, when we look up from the pages of Scripture and we look out into real life, In everything that is happening in this life under the sun, we see no lack of folly, do we? We see folly in abundance all around us. And you and I, to be clear, we are not immune to its reach either. Which is why we need Ecclesiastes. Which is why we need the other wisdom books of our Bible to remind us of the superiority of wisdom in contrast to the folly of the world. In other words, I don't have to remind you of the folly of the world because you go, look, this is where I live. I see it all the time. But we need God's Word to redirect us to see the wisdom of God. Because in this life, in which so much, so much emphasis is put on power, in a world that seems as if we're at war, Solomon says, wisdom is more valuable than weaponry. Weapons may be needed in battle, but wisdom wins wars. Yet folly insidiously slips in, preying upon the weakness of your will and my will, enticing us to welcome folly in. But just, just a little bit. What can a little bit hurt? And Once present, folly makes itself known. Let me give you just a couple of examples that I know are going to be familiar to you, but I want to show you, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, I want you to see that from the very beginning all the way to our present day, how insidious folly is. God made man in His own image. Scripture says very clearly, in the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. But rather than glorify God with praise and thanksgiving as we should, Paul says that instead that we neither honor God nor thank God, worshiping not the Creator, but the created. God created the wisdom of our distinction of man and woman in His wisdom, gender, and yet, Man rejects God's design and he assigns his own seemingly autonomous labels. God created the woman for the man and gave both of them the blessing of one flesh union and communion for life. But man rejects God's design and adulterates and perverts the very gift of God. God gave the vast And plentiful resources of creation and gave them to man to work and keep it. But man chose to desecrate and destroy it through ceaseless greed and unbridled consumption. And so my point is this, is that we can go back, and we don't even have to leave the first and second chapters of Genesis and then fast forward throughout all of Scripture all the way to today to see this is that folly has made itself known since Eden. But it's not confined to history, is it? If history tells us anything, it's this. Folly knows no limits. If history tells us anything, it is folly knows no limits. And Solomon says in chapter 9, verse 18, one sinner, one destroys much good. The folly of sin corrupts even in limited quality. We have a saying. You all know the idiom. A bad apple spells uh, spoils the, the whole bunch. That's it. For example, this is the example that Solomon gives us. Consider the costly craft of perfumery. We're These valuable natural resources that God has given us are crafted into a fragrant aroma. But drop a few dead flies in the oil, what happens? Solomon says that their presence is pervasive. It ruins the whole batch. Sin is like that. Corrupting that which is beautiful. And I want you to keep that in mind. Sin is like that. Just a little bit corrupts that which is beautiful. So powerful is the folly of sin's corrupting and consuming presence that it can even dictate the direction of one's life. Here's the way Jesus put it. He said, wide and popular, my paraphrase, wide and popular, is the gate that leads to destruction. And I might add that it is a path paved with the stones of folly. Yet the fool is, Solomon says, he's oblivious. He's oblivious to his own foolishness. His folly seems evident to others. He's walking down the road and, and Solomon says, everybody sees he's a fool. He's rocking down the wrong way. Who doesn't see it? Him. In fact, it is no more obvious than through the words of his mouth. In fact, if you're a student of Ecclesiastes, you have probably picked up on this by now, is Solomon consistently is pointing out the mouth, what is said. And here, he says that a fool reveals himself Through his mouth. Folly knows no limits. Let me give you an example, Solomon says. And the fool, he must say something. He must say anything. In fact, he is consumed with being hurt. I've got to say something, don't I? (laughs) His vocabulary becomes a verbal vomiting of the contents of his heart. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Little does the fool know, Solomon says, that his words, which are flowing from his heart, are moving him precipitously to madness. The foolish spewing of his heart's corruption, in other words, is driving him crazy self-justified, he'd rather do anything than, well, he just wants to talk all the time. In fact, one of the signs of a fool is is that he can talk about work all day, but never actually do it. (laughs) Have you ever encountered this? (laughs) He can talk, and he can talk, and he can talk about work, and get nothing done. Just the thought of work is exhausting. Better talk about it. Perhaps, perhaps he meant to work. Better talk about it. Though a job awaits him in the city, he conveniently can't find his way to the city into that job, Solomon says. Better talk about it. And while his roof sinks in and his house leaks, evidence of his sloth, and he knows it, he'd rather talk about it. But eventually, a fool will be found out. A fool will be found out by the wise. The wise realizes there's a disconnection between what needs to be done and the blabbering of his mouth. But the question is, and this is where Solomon directs us the question is, how can that fool hide his folly? What, what's a good cover up scheme for his folly? Well, one option is to mask it with money. Because Solomon makes a statement, a truism that bothers some money answers everything. And you go, huh? That's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Here it is. Let me explain how Solomon is using this statement and just how true it is. Money helps the fool hide his folly. Think about it this way. And I'm always amazed at this. But long is the line to hear the advice of a fool if he's wealthy. But there can be a rich man who's poor, And nobody hears a word or seeks to hear a word from him. And if the rich man is a ruler, it is as if it gets on steroids. The governing official now has the power of money and spending. Well, spending hides his ineptness. It safeguards his self-indulgence. It protects his place in history. Money pacifies his critics. It builds his support base. And it promotes his prominence. And here's the way that a fool uses money. Because it's effective. When problems arise, focus on the economy. When faced with hardships, send the people money. Trouble paying debt, print more money. Truly Folly knows no limits. And this, then, is helpful to us as we seek to be wise. As we seek to follow in the wisdom of God, it's helpful to us not to engage in it, of course, but to identify it, to see it, and not to call it wisdom, not to dismiss it and say, oh, that's just politics, that's okay, you know, that's just the way the world is. No, it helps us identify it its financial foolishness is continuous. You're always going to see it. Its persuasive words are endless. The fool never stops talking. Its lack of discernment is infamous. And its consuming con- constru- corruption is ubiquitous. It runs the gamut. Folly flourishes In the boundless, but wisdom knows its limits. And that's an important distinction for us to know. Foolishness flourishes in the boundless. And the world says that's freedom. Everybody wants freedom. Freedom is you can do anything you want, right? Any way you want. How you want it. Have it your way. Wisdom says that's not wisdom. Wisdom knows its limits. Martin Luther said this. You're going to want to listen close. Don't miss this. This is a great quote. Luther said, A Christian is an utterly free man, Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is an utterly dutiful man, servant of all, subject to all like is Luther talking out of both sides of his mouth what's he describing he's describing the paradox that confronts the illusion of limitlessness he's confronting the paradox of that illusion of limitlessness a christian knows that we are free in christ that we have been freed to serve and to submit To love the Lord our God with our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. We've been freed to do that very thing. And we see wisdom in God's limits. Let me give you an example. We see wisdom, of course, in the special revelation of God's word, but we also see limits within creation. There are even unbelievers who get this. The wisdom of limits. For example, in his writing... Wendell Berry talks a lot about the wisdom of limits as a kind of, and he describes it as a kind of self-imposed governance. I know this has gone out of fad, right? Good old-fashioned self-governance and restraint. But what Berry gets at is this, is he describes these limits as, quote, the ability to accept and live within limits, to resist changes that are merely novel or fashionable, To resist greed and pride, to resist the temptations to solve problems by ignoring them, accepting them as trade-offs, or bequeathing them to posterity. A good solution, then, must be in harmony with good character, cultural value, and moral law. And it's such self-governed restraint doesn't restrain freedom, but rather it frees us. That's the paradox that Luther's getting at, right? And what Solomon's describing in this passage, there is a restraint that is liberating. There is a restraint that is freeing, in which we are freed to live wisely. For example, given the divergent choice of paths, wisdom doesn't consider every single path As equal, but rather limits choice to prudence. Wisdom then is doing the right thing, the right way at the right time. How about that? Wisdom is doing the right thing, the right way at the right time. Or consider Solomon's example. He spends several verses to talk about this angry ruler and what flows out of that. And we don't know whether the angry ruler, if his anger is warranted or not. Solomon doesn't tell us. But here's what we know. And we're reading this. We hear the angry ruler. We know that you and I will encounter rational and irrational angry people in our life, right? This may describe your last week, <laughs> Everybody has encountered this before in life. How we respond, however, to that rational or irrational angry person is a matter of choice. We are not victims. Wisdom teaches us, for example, not to explode in impassioned self-defense or run away from conflict, but to... Keep calm, calmness as it's translated here, seeking to understand, then to be understood. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that we will always see with perfect clarity. And it also doesn't mean that we will always understand everything that we see. We just simply won't. We are fallen human beings. Solomon was one of the wisest sons of Adam to ever live, and yet he couldn't explain the presence of folly. It was perplexing to him, especially when he would see things in the reverse order. Why is that that way, he wondered. And what we see here, and he gives several examples, doesn't he, you know, the slave on the horse, the rich person walking, and so forth and so on. But the general idea of what he is showing us here is that just because you see it doesn't mean you understand it. In our culture, there seems to be a confusion with observation and understanding. But that's a misnomer. Just because I see something with my own two eyes doesn't mean that I I understand it one of the reasons why we need to slow down. Really, 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 slow down before we make judgments. Just because we see something doesn't explain why it is the way it is. We may never know why it is. But in the case of folly, at the very least, what we can do is is we can see what to avoid. We can see what to avoid. It's better to learn from someone else's mistakes than your own, right? (laughs) But sometimes, sometimes we make mistakes. And and Solomon goes through several of these. I would imagine that they they don't necessarily uh, uh, apply to us, but the general theme is. He says, he who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Who quarries stones is hurt by them. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. The point that he's getting at in these examples, although they may not be relevant to us, is part of living involves accidents. If you live long enough, an accident's going to happen. They happen to us all. Even the wise. the difference is is that the wise learn from their mistakes to prevent repeating them right? And each of these examples you could reverse the example that, that Solomon gives and see what he's teaching us. Be careful when digging a pit. Remember, you fell in it last time. Beware of knocking down a wall. There could be a biting snake on the other side. He gives the example of chopping wood. Ever chopped wood with a dull axe? (laughs) When chopping wood with a dull axe, the wise have learned to stop and do what? Sharpen the bit. When faced with a biting snake, the wise have learned to do what? Run! (laughs) Or kill the snake. When asked to speak, the wise have learned to limit their words to the timely and to the appropriate. When confided in, the wise have learned to be discreet. Who knows what little birdie is listening? The point is to learn from our mistakes and thereby gain wisdom. Folly is is repeating our mistakes. There are, however, some things out of our control. Solomon gives the examples of a foolish and wise ruler. Sometimes God establishes a ruler in authority who has the maturity level of a child. Or he or she is a child. Everything about that ruler's governance seems to be self-indulgence and seeking ongoing pleasure for themselves. And yet, and yet, at the same time, Solomon says, God can also raise up a ruler of noble stock and character. One who governs in wisdom, knowing what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. A ruler can, believe it or not, can intentionally limit his or her own self-interest for the sake of those who serve. And Solomon says, that leads to a happy nation. A selfless leader blesses the nation. How is this ruler who acts like a child and this ruler... Who governs in wisdom? How do we know where they come from? I don't know. And Solomon didn't either. But God knows. God knows. And so wisdom teaches us to rest in his providential care we rest in God's providential care because you don't know, I don't know some of these perplexing things. And we will not understand everything. And we will be perplexed at times. But our lack of understanding, to be sure, does not make God any less sovereign. But it does teach us to trust Him and to learn the distinction between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Let me oversimplify it this way. What the world often thinks is wisdom is folly. And what the world thinks is often folly is wisdom. For example, Christ crucified. Christ crucified is foolishness to the world. Paul reminded us of this, In 1 Corinthians, he says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But, by God's grace, Paul goes on to say, The folly of Christ's cross, through it, He became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So, If the world seems to you, if the world seems to me, to abide in a wisdom that is contrary to God's, Jesus confirmed it. He confirmed it upon His cross. For the wisdom of God is found in Christ. Consider then some of the limits of this God-given wisdom. And if I haven't convinced you at this point, of what Solomon is teaching us about the wisdom of limits, let me give you these in closing. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Such is the wisdom of God. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son... That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Such is the wisdom of God. John says in his first letter Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So these are the wisdom, these are the limits of the wisdom of God. And in his wisdom is life. And so let us give thanks and praise for the wisdom of God. Let me pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we live in a world of folly. And we are so surrounded by it that it is so easy for us to fall into it. And so we pray for your protection. We pray for your wisdom. We pray that we would be ever reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the folly of the cross, the folly of Christ crucified, the folly of Christ resurrected. We pray that you would protect our hearts and our minds, that we might glorify you by living lives of wisdom, rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www dot c p c f s dot org